When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Welcome to episode 140 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And I wonder how far along are you on your food peace journey? Are you someone that just started? Maybe this podcast is the first time you're hearing about or learning about the need to unlearn diets and diet culture, or maybe you've been at it for years, or maybe you're someone that helps other people along their food peace journey. Maybe you don't even know what the word food peace or the phrase food peace, rather, what that even means. And I think of food peace as our journey to coming back to ourselves and feeling at home in our own skin And using our body and messages that it gives us to know how to move and how to eat and how to live. It's kind of this reconnection and embodiment. It's something that because of diet culture, we've kind of twisted to mean still losing weight or it has a timeline to it. Or if we can't make it happen fast enough, that means we're doing it wrong. And I actually have a letter from someone who... Sounds like she's in that kind of place. Three months ago, this week's letter writer found intuitive eating and is able now to call out diet culture and make peace with food. And as they're moving through the steps of intuitive eating, they're feeling really confused and scared and not knowing if they're doing it wrong and if it's even maybe backfiring. I just realized too, if I said the word intuitive eating and you're not really sure what it is, well, check out the book, Intuitive Eating, or there's a website. If you Google it, you'll find the 10 principles. But it's sort of a system that helps you to move away from diet culture and reconnect with how your body was designed to work using hunger and fullness cues. And I'm someone that was lucky enough to be supervised by both Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush, the authors of Intuitive Eating. And I hope this episode helps you to clarify the place that you're in, letter writer, and anyone who can identify 
with this person's story. And we get to hear from fellow dietitian and anti-diet warrior, Vinci Choi. She's someone that I actually got an interview about eight months ago on the Love Food Podcast. She was someone I talked to in episode 119. And I have her on again today. And I hope you appreciate the wisdom she brings. She has so much compassion and wisdom in this process. But before we get to this episode's letter and hear from Vinci, a word from our sponsor. This episode of a Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace course. If you're wondering what PCOS is, it's called polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's a condition where many people are forced to diet just to live their life. They really are told that's the only way they can live on food. If you have PCOS, I know you know what I mean. And here's the thing, diets don't work for most people. So why would they work for PCOS? (laughs) Some people are estimating that one in five people who are assigned as female at birth experience PCOS, one in five. So we need more ways to help people with this condition without dieting, obviously. And if you listen to the podcast and you connect with the types of words I use or the process I'm using, then check out my course and you can find out all the information at pcosandfoodpeace.com. There's also a podcast, a 10 episode podcast that I put together with dietitian in training and a person who's affected by PCOS, Kimmy Singh. We put that together um, this last summer and you can get to that by going to pcosandfoodpeace.com slash podcast. You can hear other people who experience PCOS and hopefully you just feel a little bit more at home in your own skin. That's always my goal. And with that podcast, it was the same thing. If you're a dietitian that wants to help people with PCOS move away from dieting and promote health at the same time, yes, it is possible. You can get all the information for the course that I made for you at pcosandfoodpeace.com slash dietitians. All right, enough of all of that. Let's get to this episode's letter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dear Food, oh my, I just don't even know where to begin. When I was around 13 years old, my mother told me that I needed to watch out because too much more of you would take me from the regular sizes to the missus sizes, which in that day was more like plus size. If I ate more of you, which was always intensely scrutinized and monitored by her than she felt happy with, she would give me a look 
of disappointment and shame around you and my body set in. I would sometimes whip up a bowl of cookie dough while she was out of the house for a brief time, scarf you down, and then clean up as fast as possible. You were associated with shame at home and then freedom when I was out in my car alone. It was then the roots of thin means worthy, beautiful, and acceptable, and fat was unsightly, made you worth less, and would negatively affect your life in so many ways, from getting a man to getting a job to embarrassing your teenagers. What is so crazy now is that pictures of me still living at home show a healthy, not even chubby girl. I do not know what my mother was seeing. Anyway, so from there I restricted and binged you. I went from diet fad to diet fad. Of course, I would get so many compliments from people when they observed my eating less of you, even when I was nearly starving myself. But those never lasted. I'd always come back to you, so much so that you would make me sick, so I'd swear to never binge on you again, which I did. Then floods of shame and embarrassment and failure would overcome me as I regained all my weight plus more. My ups and downs with you have cost me so much money food. Between all the diets, special ingredients, and clothing, oh my, I cannot even imagine how much money I've wasted over these years trying to get to that size where I would be acceptable to my mother and therefore myself and others. I was once again failing at keeping weight off from my most recent diet and started searching podcasts for related subjects. I came across the Love Food podcast three months ago and was introduced to intuitive eating, diet culture, and peace with food for the first time. Wow, totally new concepts for me. I love them and I want to incorporate them into my life. I so want peace with you and with myself. I want to accept where I am right now at this moment. However, I am discouraged and feeling confused. As I've given myself freedom with all foods and I've tried to eat only when hungry and stop when full, a skill I have a lot of work to do to figure out, I have just gotten fatter and that scares me. I need to know what is the normal process. I want to set my expectations of how my newfound relationship with you is going to be okay. I feel like, as I have said, no to more dieting and seeing all food as permissible. This way of doing things is backfiring. Is this how it works? Is this how my body holding onto everything, thinking I'll starve again? Does it get worse before it gets better? I would love to know, as I want my journey towards loving you to be free and peaceful. Thank you for keeping me alive, food. We just need to figure out how this relationship is going to pan out. Love, time to define the relationship. Hey there, letter writer. I am so glad that we found each other. Thank you for the kind words too about the podcast. And again, I'm so glad that we found each other. And I hope the next few minutes helps you in your place that you're in right now. I especially hope it helps you to feel okay that you're in the space you're in right now. Because I feel like that is what we all need is to feel okay in our healing journey wherever we are. Part of that healing includes being in the present and acknowledging it with compassion and being curious about what makes you be in the place you're in right now. So let's dive deep into this. I have invited Vinci Choi to discuss your letter. 
And then she also just released a book. It's called The Mindful Eating Workbook. She was a previous guest on the Love Food Podcast, like I said, and I invited her to come back because I wanted to learn more about it and hear her point of view on mindful eating. I do think it gets twisted um, and perversely made into a diet, just like intuitive eating. So let's give her a call and hear what she has to say. Hello, Vinci speaking. Hey, Vinci. It's Julie Duffy Dillon. How are you? Good. How are you? I am great. And I'm so excited to talk to you again. Thank you for giving us this time and your expertise. Well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And um, I sent you a letter that I think um, you will be, I don't know, I just connected with some of the skills and the things that you talk about. So I'm wondering if you had a chance to read it yet. I did. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Yeah. So when you read it, what was your general impression about what this person's going through? Oh, gosh. Like, it's like, thank you so much to this letter writer for being so vulnerable, for sharing your story. And I think um, I'm probably not alone in feeling like it's such a relatable story that I'm sure a lot of listeners out there, you know, as you were reading the letter, were probably nodding their heads because I think parts of the story, if not most of the story, resonates so much with so many people's experiences with food and with with, you know, intuitive eating and, and trying to build a better relationship with food and with their bodies. What, um, there were a few parts where I felt exactly the same way. Um, and I wanted to, to, to see if they're the same ones that I was thinking, but, um, what, which ones were you thinking were like, Ooh, that's super relatable to a lot of people I've talked to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, even from the beginning, like the, um, this, relation this change in the relationship with food starting at um such a young age and um or 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 it says when I was around 13 years old so not super young but I think like the teenage Mm -hmm. years is definitely a fraught time when it comes to our relationship with our body and having that reinforced by a mom who is obviously trying her best but also very much Um, stuck in diet culture and, you know, going back and looking at photos of yourself and being like, but I wasn't a larger kid. You know, how come I believe that about myself or how come others believe that about me? And then um, the whole restrict binge cycle and then coming back and trying intuitive eating and then being in that phase of just feeling like you're binging all the time. And it's kind of like, when does this ever stop? So um, yeah, those are some of the parts that stuck out for me as very relatable and very common. Totally. Like there are so many things that I I know I say this, I hope it's not sounding insensitive to the person who wrote this letter, but like it was very textbook in a way. Like there were so many things that were very natural parts of the process. And in particular, the thing that I I was wondering if people were nodding along was when the letter writer was talking about um, her mom's like look when she would 
feed, eat more than the mom thought she should, you know, that like that kind of disappointed look. I think she's, she, I don't remember how in particular this person wrote about it, but that, oh, the look of disappointment. <laughs> and um, whenever she would eat more or um, just did something outside of diet culture is kind of like oppressive kind of rules and regulations. And something that um, I saw, let's see, it was probably in December of 2018, in case you're listening to this much later than when this podcast was released. Um, I posted something on my Instagram page about, I asked just people like, when was your first diet? And so many people said um, between the ages of 10 and 13, like almost every uh-huh. single person, I was shocked how many people were 10 and 11. And and it felt like visceral to me because my daughter's 10. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, wow. please, where's her cave? I can put her in so she could oh. be protected for the next three years. Um, but alas, I can't protect her. Um, and so many people talked about why that started between 10 and 13 was because of a family member's own kind of living in diet culture and learning the rules and then passing them down to their children. Yeah. Yeah. And even when it's not, you know, say a parent or a family member telling that person directly that they should diet, um, a lot of times just seeing that behavior being modeled. Mm -hmm. um, One thing that I hear is very much like, well, this is what I thought that a woman was supposed to do, or this is what I thought that an adult is supposed to do is supposed to diet. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's sometimes it's sort of presented in a way inadvertently that, you know, it's almost like a rite of passage. Mm, yeah. You know, and you bring up a really good point about diet culture. And I, because I think the word diet and um, I don't know, pursuing weight loss, those are buzzwords that have a negative connotation with a lot of people. And so they don't like to use those words anymore, especially people who are marketing products that do this. And so they're still diets and still promoting weight loss, but they won't call it that. They'll say it's like empowering yourself or um, getting clean or, you know, some other different words. And it reminds me that children and other impressionable people are smarter. And so sometimes not even naming it or trying to not name it and still doing the actions will provide the same kind of impression that we may be trying to avoid. So anyone who's trying to move away from diet culture, but, you know, still feels invested in it, um, maybe still teaching it to impressionable people around them. So I don't know if that made any, made any sense, but just what you mm-hmm. were saying kind of made me think of that. Because I, I don't think um, a lot of caregivers are, know that kids are watching and listening, you know, and so just that modeling of behavior is probably the most important thing to think about. And um, when this letter writer was talking about how, you know, that movement toward intuitive eating, which has been only about three months from the letter, you know, and um, which may feel like an eternity, but also it is probably from you and I's point of view and our privileged point of view is a really short time, you know, but um, how it feels so scary and like a roller coaster and out of control and maybe also exciting. Um, mm-hmm. No wonder it does because it's like, there are no guardrails up. There's like, it's probably like, feels like a free fall because it's away from that expected rigidity, rigidity of diet culture. Um, so whenever you talk to someone in that space or when you think about someone in that space where it feels so scary, what do you feel like are the first few steps that are important to consider? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And before I answer that question, I just wanted to say I use that roller coaster analogy too a lot mm-hmm. because, yeah, it, exactly like you said, it's very exciting and also very scary at the same time. Um, exciting because it's like, oh, I'm finally, you know, getting to eat all these foods that I've restricted for so long for so many different reasons. And then also scary because it's like, um, like I am eating these foods and what is going to happen to me and to my body, which is what I'm um, seeing this letter writer is, is expressing here. And, and I think kind of this like scary part is, Oddly enough, in some ways, what sort of um, perpetuates the scary part of the scary introduction to intuitive eating, because it's almost like your body is subconsciously waiting for that other shoe to drop. Mm. Um, It's kind of like, okay, like I'm allowed to eat all these foods now. Like, when are we when are we? when are we actually going to stop and going to start the next diet again? And, you know, it seems it's much easier said than done um, in, in the sense of like um, every time we, we kind of ask, you know, when am I going to start eating quote unquote healthy again, or when am I going to crave vegetables or whatever again? Um, it's, that is actually still that diet mentality talking because it's still, um, sort of putting some foods over others. Um, so that's kind of something to sort of keep in mind. But I think one of the ways to make this phase a little bit easier on people is that um, sometimes it is helpful to add in a little bit of structure. So for example, like what is very common for people to do when we talk about, say, unconditional permission to eat is they jump into unconditional permission to eat everything right away. And that's what can make it very scary and overwhelming. And sometimes it's helpful, especially working with a dietitian or a counselor who's trained in intuitive eating or mindful eating or health at every size to be able to sort of set it up in little phases. Um, so what, so- what sometimes I will get people to do, for example, is um, write a list of, you know, what are those fear foods or what are those foods that um, you've avoided for a long time and then, and maybe even rank them. Like what are the scariest ones? What are the ones that you really don't trust yourself with versus the ones where you're kind of like, uh, like I know they're quote unquote bad, but you know, I think I can have more control and that's usually a good place to start and then kind of set up a specific time and place to kind of reintroduce them. And sometimes it might even be with me in the office as a place to start and then slowly building up that confidence. So it can, you know, snowball to some of the scarier foods before it does become a full unconditional permission to eat at any time. I love that way of doing it. I feel like it's still has that foundation of permission and kind of like, let me, um, give you these guardrails as you're going down the roller coaster, you know, or mm-hmm. uh, and or be able just to turn the direction in the way you want to go, and or the way that your life's going maybe is even a better way to put it. You know, something that I remember learning 
gosh, it's been over 10 years now when I did some supervision with Evelyn Tripoli and she, one of the things she said, well, there was many things she said that resonated with me, but one of them was that, you know, intuitive eating is very simple, but it's not easy. And part of why I've always thought of it in that way is because it is so exciting and scary, which is exhausting. And, um, in, in especially that unconditional permission to eat when a person really sits with that and how scary that is. Um, I feel like there's this all or nothing reaction. Like, well, if I can't do it all the way, then I can't do it at all. You know? <laughs> so yeah. um, what you're, I'm hearing you say is like, there's lots of different ways to do this and we can use structure and ease at the same time. And um, you can do it in your own way. And that's okay. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And I'm here to help you do it if, if, if you want, which I feel like is so beautiful and it makes it just more individual, you know, and, and part of the trap I always feel of with like anything that's non-diet is that it gets twisted into a diet. <laughs> and so your way of helping person go through it basically helps to, helps to avoid that, you know, which I think is so important. Yeah. And I think that, um, part of what makes diets so attractive sometimes is the structure and is the rule. So being able to still have some structure, um, in intuitive eating makes it a more helpful transition for some people, because I think sometimes one of the ways that unconditional permission to eat gets interpreted is as like, unconditional eating, uh, which is, I mean, absolutely like what it can look like for some people. Um, But again, for someone who is used to having so many conditions put on their eating, you know, to kind of swing from one end of the spectrum to the other is very overwhelming and scary. And anytime someone gets overwhelmed with anything, it makes them less likely to want to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think people who live in bodies that are um, marginalized in any way will, I hope they have permission to use those kind of guardrails or whatever, because I think it's it's going to be different for someone whose body is larger or in a body that's marginalized in any way to feel okay in their own skin, you know, and someone who's body weight's naturally going to be smaller or considered acceptable. It's still hard to do intuitive eating, but they may find that unconditional permission to eat just is easier um, because their body just kind of settles at a weight that they feel okay with. And this letter writer, the way they're describing it is not in that way. (laughs) You know, that they're like, oh shit, my body is bigger and bigger. And do you have any words of wisdom in that space of like, when someone's really fearing weight gain and we live in this super fat phobic world, you know, what to do in that space? Oh, this is such a hard one because I am someone who is in a thin body myself as well. And I know that's always like a dynamic that's Mm -hmm. in the room when I'm working with someone who is in a larger body than myself. Um, I, I guess one of the things that, um, uh, or afraid or, yeah, I guess a phrase that has been helpful for some of my clients is remembering that it's not your body that's wrong. It's you, it's the world, it's the system that's working against you. And it's, I know it's like so hard to hear that from someone who's in a smaller body, because I think, you know, the attitude that 
well, you will never understand is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Like I, Mm -hmm. I don't, um, I haven't been in a larger body, but I think such a huge part of the discomfort that people feel comes from being in a world that is not built for people in larger bodies or in people in other otherwise marginalized bodies. And it's, and it shouldn't be up to us to try to change to fit into the world. It's, it really should be up to the world to accommodate for us and, you know, be part of that advocacy work. And I think that's what also makes um, intuitive eating and this work so scary for people because it's so political. And I think there are a lot of people out there who have never thought of their bodies in that way before. Mm-hmm. And, and and don't want to have to do that. Like, some people are naturally gifted at being radical and the person who's doing that type of work. And there are some people that feel so not what they want. And when a person's in a larger body rejecting diets, they are being radical whether they want to or not. And, and what they, there's no choice there. Like that's, that's just the way it is in this current, you know, state of where our culture is. And, Holy crap. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like I that's not something I can ever understand. And I I don't know. I all I think to say is like I I hear that fear and I can't understand it and I I see you basically and I and I want to understand it and um another reason why this journey is individual and I hope a person can have compassion for where they are and also put that whatever it takes, I want to help a person. And I have a feeling you're the same way, Vinci, like whatever it takes to help dismantle that shame and put it on the systems and the oppressors and the diet culture, like, and getting really pissed off at that where it belongs instead of internalizing it. And um, maybe for this letter writer, anyone who identifies in a similar way, like just even acknowledging that space, I hope it helps to pivot and um, to be gentle in that time or just whatever they're in that space of like, God, I'm so scared that I'm going to be continuously rejected because we, yeah, we, we appreciate that fear is real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's okay for me to offer maybe another suggestion, yes. um, another tip that um, a, a lot of my clients have found helpful is to find role models in larger bodies, like whether it's on social media or whether it's in real life, like, you know, just finding people who are in larger bodies or in other marginalized bodies who are trying to live their best life and, and see, and being able to see the beauty in others sometimes makes it easier to be able to see, you know, the beauty and strength and confidence that we all have and worthiness um, within ourselves. So I'm totally putting you on the spot, but do any particular people come to mind that other people you've worked with have said that really helped them? Um, I think, you know, different folks resonate for Mm -hmm. people, but I, um, but one of my friends, Meredith Noble, so her website is made on a generous plan Mm -hmm. or generousplan.com, And she actually has a list of like fat positive, Instagram accounts that a lot of my clients have found helpful to sort of like pick and choose, um, you know, people that they resonate. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. It's a really great resource. Um, and beautifully made too. Anything that Meredith makes is just gorgeous. So um, I love that resource. I'll put that in there for sure. Thank you. So we have something as a part of this show. um, And if you're someone who's listening, who's new to the Love Food Podcast, we have something called the Food Peace Syllabus, which is a collection of resources like books, other podcasts, anything under the sun that further helps cultivate a relationship with food that's healing and provides permission. And if you want a copy of the food piece syllabus, you can get it at juliedillonrd.com. And Vinci, um, what would you like to add to it? Um, So I recently just had a book released called um, The Mindful Eating Workbook. Um, So it's a lot of fun, I think, in that, like, not only do I talk a lot about mindful eating, which is, I think, different from intuitive eating, because intuitive eating has, like, um, more of a purpose of like rejecting diet mentality, whereas mindful eating is really more about being in the present. But, you know, I try to still include a lot of weight inclusive information in there. And there are exercises and meditations that you can do. Um, so I would add that there. And I think even for this letter writer, um, mindful eating is a great, um, companion to intuitive eating in the sense that what I sort of sense sometimes or what I sort of sense in this letter I guess is that um, there's a lot of concern about like what is this food doing to my body when sometimes just being able to take a moment to be present and being like and you know pay attention to how does this food make me feel right now how does this food taste right now um that can really be helpful too in getting out of this scary roller coaster sort of phase Mm. of intuitive eating yeah i could see how that could um especially with practice with it and compassionate practice, of course, like um, how that almost would become a way to discern is that experience or that that feeling or voice that I'm hearing or that message about this food from my body or is that from diet culture? Is that from fat phobia? Is that from um, feeling the systems of oppression? You know, being able to discern that I can see how mindfulness in general and then mindful eating would be able to help clarify that. So then it becomes like body liberating, you know, and, and, and autonomous. So they're doing what they want to do and what they need and what their body needs, you know, which I feel like that's what we want for you letter writers to do what you and your body need, whatever that is, (laughs) you know, whatever that looks Mm -hmm. like. Um, So I appreciate that. Um, I will put, your book in the show notes. I'm really excited to see it. And I think um, anyone listening um, can benefit from your work. Cause I, I definitely like your work has been one that um, I trust and has been really compassionate and healing for folks. So I appreciate you putting that workbook together and also coming on the love food podcast. And is there, um, I don't know, anywhere, if someone wants to learn more about you, is there anywhere you direct them to go to find more out about you? Sure. Um, my website is a good place to start. So my website is just my name, which is not spelled how it's pronounced. Um, so it's vincichoy.com, V-I-N-C-C-I-T-S-U-I.com. I'm also on social media. So on Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter at Vinci RD. 
Awesome. Thank you so much again. And it was great reconnecting and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. Thanks again for having me, Julie. So there you have it. Letter writer, I hope Vinci and I's conversation helped to provide some direction, maybe a little bit of those guardrails we were referencing. And I do hope it gives you permission to be more at ease with where you are right now. You're battling a lot of really big systemic things um, and you're carrying the burden all on your own. It doesn't belong to you. Your body does not need to be fixed. Our world is pretty effed up. That's the one that needs to be fixed. So I see food is written back, but before we get to that, this episode of the Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. You can get to them at PCOSandFoodPeace.com and PCOSandFoodPeace.com slash dietitians. If you enjoyed this episode of a Love Food Podcast, I would be super grateful for a rating or view, subscribe or share this episode. Doing any of those acts of kindness really helps the show grow. You would be amazed how that little tiny thing helps more people find it. The algorithms are always a mystery, but that seems to be the trick. So I appreciate it in advance for anything that you do just to help other people to feel more at home in their own skin. All right. Until next time, take care. Dear, time to define the relationship. You have been told so many lies about the conditions of your worth, beauty, and existence. We wish you could have more access to the radical truth that you don't need to be fixed. And we appreciate our tumultuous relationship may stay rocky as you navigate trying to survive in this fat phobic world. May you have compassion for your struggle and not blame yourself for the confusion. Find support from other food priest travelers in a similar earth suit. Together, you can find connection and liberation. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.